everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. With today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old, long-time Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together, we break it down, try to find the good stuff in Mrs. Butcher's baby boy's magnum opus. <laughs> Today, we're looking at the final chunk, the climax, the ending, the big explosion, the Sioux special tactics. Of Deadbeat Book 7. How you doing today, Ice? I'm doing all right there. I like that special tactic, Sue. Oh, she is a very special tactic, I tell you what. <laughs> Fantastic. I also, so on this one, I had some time this week, and so I was listening back through, and I got about three quarters of the way back through, and I have some notes. <laughs> oh, yeah? Excellent, excellent. This is definitely, I mentioned this to Lissy, I, I did my darndest. I, I feel like I did a pretty darn good job of not uh, getting into any of the uh, specifics here, but this is definitely one of my favorite set pieces here. Obviously you got a Tyrannosaur, you got the, the uh, dark house. Just again, Lissy talk, you, we talk so much about cinematic and that's one of the big things you focus on is how these things would look in real life. And Oh yeah, this is absolutely bananas. Cinematic as fuck. I believe uh, is the oh, appropriate yeah. terminology for that. I think that's the, yeah, that's what they say in the business, the official. Term. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it is definitely a very cool, scene i'm sure it would look very cool on film or in uh, animation or whatever whatever what have you but uh really cool stuff and again like i mentioned last week that some t- some people actually recommend starting here i don't personally no. but you know i like starting from the very beginning it's a very good place to start as somebody very clever once said but you can see why it really does punch you in the face and let you know what this series is about it's the dresden is dresden we've seen so far right yeah as far as i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into anything exciting in the real world? No, not at all. I mean, we have a zombie Tyrannosaurus Rex smashing cars and eating zombies. It's a bit more exciting. Throughout Chicago. I mean, what really, we really can't compete with that. Nothing could. And if you can, definitely send us a memo. Let us know what's, because that, you must have the coolest (laughs) life ever. Seriously. Or a very stressful life. It's true, probably. Because I imagine that would be very stressful. Oh, goodness me. Got a migraine train to work, so I've got two caffeinated beverages on my desk here. Woof. You got a lot of caffeine, though, I mean. There you go. Makes everything better. Obviously. Indeed. All right. In that case, it is a starts on even chapters. So I'll get us into it as best I can. It's always my strong suit, as we have seen before. Dresden has just narrowly escaped the clutches of Quintus Cassius, a former Denarian. He was Snake Boy from a couple novels ago, and he was the drummer for Gravane. And he had a deal that when they found the word, Gravane would get the book, and Cassius would get the wizard. And he almost did. He Eat up his Harry pretty good. He was cutting him open, doing some of that fun time torture stuff. And just uh, in time, our man Butters shows up as the hero. He also was the hero who removed the veil that Lashiel 
was keeping up to keep Harry off off her scent there. And so we have a very heroic version of Butters that I really love. We saw our very first death curse. We've heard a lot about him. We've talked about him. And here we get to actually see one in action as Mouse was snapping Cassius's neck. He said, die alone. And there was some cool light show and some noise, some kind of voice carried on more than it should have. And obviously we don't, can't be a good thing when you get death crucified, but um, we soldier on and we still have to stop the Dark Hollow. There are now all three of the Necromancers, Corpse Taker, Gravain, and Cowl are all still in play. So there's lots to do here as we close out the climax. And we have our poor injured wizard, our newly heroic coroner, and a big old puppy. And from there, big old puppy. You get us into dice. Big old puppy. Um, so Harry wakes up. Well, he says, I didn't wake up. It was more like I felt myself putting together some kind of awareness, the way a stagehand constructs a set. Evidently, I was a minimalist because the reality I woke to was a bare black floor, a single hanging lamp overhead, and three chairs, which is similar to how he woke up to his other self when he was in the garage books ago. That just hit me. It was all black chairs hanging light overhead. So this is his dreamscape, basically. His his subconsciously created dreamscape. And so there are three chairs. In one sat Lashiel, in a, which I love. She was clothed in an Illinois Department of Corrections jumpsuit. I love that so much. I love that. With prison shackles, wrists and feet, and sat primly in her chair. And it's almost like her saying fuck you to him. Uh-huh. It's not, I don't, I feel like it's almost not him creating this image. It's her creating this image to kind of be like pouty to him. Oh, oh, definitely. I 100% agree. This is her. And the other chair was himself, a version of me, some kind of subconscious alter ego of mine, who's a lot more well-kempt than our hero in his current state. Both of his hands are unmarred, which I feel like that's an important point. Mm -hmm. And so Harry slumps into the third chair. I looked more or less as I had when I woke up that morning. My shirt was slashed open, though. There wasn't any blood on my torso, and my skin hadn't been pounded and ripped with a chain. Wishful thinking. <laughs> Not precisely a dream, the subconscious me said. Call it a meeting of the minds. And Harry says he's, you know, he's done with Lashiel. He said everything he wanted to say to her. As for you, you're sort of a jerk. And the whole look you've got going on there says evil wizard, which I am now professionally opposed to. <laughs> And he says, I'm not some, I'll turn to Harry, says, I'm not some sort of dark demon. I'm simply the more primal essence of yourself, the one most concerned with such matters as food, survival. His dark eyes flicked idly over Lashio, mating, the important things in life. And he says, he says, it was you, wasn't it? You wanted to pick up the coin. Make sure you remember that I am a part of you before you point any fingers. And yes, the potential for power in an alliance with Lashio was too great to simply ignore. There are too many things out there determined to kill you. So long as you keep Lashio's coin, you both have the option to seek more power if necessary to protect yourself or others, and you prevent the coin from being used by unscrupulous sorts like Cassius. So, 
So this is a time to consider employing a portion of that power. You've been talking to her behind my back for months. It was only polite. After all, you wanted nothing to do with her. You asshole. The whole reason I wasn't talking was that I didn't want the temptation. I did, said my subconscious. Honestly, you should listen to me more often. If you'd taken my advice about Murphy, she wouldn't be in Hawaii, in bed, with Kincaid. Gentlemen, if I might offer a suggestion, both I and my alternative self said at the same time, in exactly the same voice, shut up. <laughs> so, you know, they're in agreement that she's dangerous. Her presence there, the influence that she could possibly have over them is very dangerous. And she must not be allowed to dictate actions or to direct our choices through suggestion or manipulation. But we learned that Lashiel is all about suggestion and manipulation. That is what her powers are. So it's, that's kind of like, hey, bra, you know. And she's, But she can and should be used as a resource under careful control. She can offer us enormous amounts of information and amusement. No, I've got Bob when I want information. And if I want sex, I'll figure something out. You don't have Bob now. And you wanted sex about 20 minutes after the last time you had it. That's beside the point. I'm not quite insane enough to let a fallen angel give me virtual nookie just for kicks. Here's the cold truth. You are determined to take us into battle against forces you cannot possibly overcome through main strength. Not only that, but your source of assistance, the wardens, may also turn against you if they learn the truth about what you're attempting. You are wounded. You are out of contact with your other allies. It's the right thing to do. Tell me, is it morally necessary for you to die in the process? I glowered at him. This meeting is just a formality, you know. You are already planning on asking Lashiel's shadow for help. That's why you read through the books as you did before it was taken from you. You wanted it to go through your mind so that she could see it and provide you with the text as she did for the summoning of the Earl King. I only did that in case I wasn't able to pry enough out of Gravain to figure out exactly what the Kemler's disciples are up to. Which we kind of talked about. We already knew that. He was doing that so she could see it. And so, you know, it's... Where are they weak? You must know the details of the Dark Hollow, or you might as well cut your own wrists. Don't have to. I could just sit and wait for the Earl King to come by. And his subconscious makes a good point. He says that your body isn't in, is in no condition to do anything at the moment, and says to free her. After I killed Justin and got my head together at Ebenezer's place, I promised myself something. I promised that I would live my life on my own terms. That I knew the difference between right and wrong, and that I wouldn't cross a line. I wouldn't allow myself to become just like Justin DeMorne. And his double asks, don't you want to survive? Of course I do. But some things are more important than survival. And we see that all the time with Harry. He does things that are right in spite of the danger to himself. And he is, in fact, taking the high road. But the double points out the people, their people are going to get killed when you die and don't stop the Kemmler disciples. So this is like the, the balance. After your noble death, everyone you no, no longer protect, everyone who might one day have come to you for help, everyone who is killed in the aftermath of the Dark Hollow, every life you might have protected in the future will be on your head. This whole story in this set of chapters in this entire book, for that matter, is walking that line. And yeah, that's definitely thematic of all the villains of Harry. Yeah, for sure. Well, and having he has the power, but he's making the choice to do what is right. 
He tells his subconscious, if I open this door now, I might not be able to close it again. Or you might. I have no intention of allowing her any control. So you will be the one who determines it. But that's the thing where all of these other people who took on the coins, they also had a subconscious. You know, like, were they, they probably weren't planning on being completely overtaken by it. So this is sort of like a gray area. And he asks, can you show me what was on those pages? She says, of course, I would be pleased to offer you whatever assistance you permit. She looked humble. She looked cooperative. But I knew better. The mere shadow of the fallen angel Lashio was a vital and powerful force. She might look humble and cooperative, but if that was her true nature, she wouldn't have fallen to begin with, which is a very good point. And so his instincts say that, you know, that she's genuinely pleased to help him. And well, I mean, history is written by the victors. We never really got their side of the story. True. But the empirical. I'm devil's advocating here. Yeah, but empirical evidence. All of the other people who have possessed the coins, bad shit's gone down. And she is dangerous. She represented nothing less than the intrinsic allure of power itself. I had never sought to become a wizard. Hell, a lot of the time I thought about how nice things might be if I hadn't been one. The power had been a birthright, and if it had grown since then, it had done so by the necessity of survival. And that's one of the biggest things. Like all, of, So many of the encounters we see where Harry's powers are leveling up, it's so he survives. It's so he can save Murphy or whomever. And one of the coldest, most evil souls I have ever encountered once told me that the reason I fought so hard to do what seemed right was that I was terrified to look within me and see the desire to cease to fight and do as I would, free of consequence or remorse. But that's kind of true on everybody. Like, most people are, that is a truth, where if, you know, if you didn't care about the outcome, about doing decently, most people wouldn't, if it didn't matter. And now I could see that he had been right. I looked at the fallen angel, patiently waiting, and was terrified. But there were innocent lives at stake. That's the key. And so, they unlock Lashiel. How may I serve you, my host? Harry wakes up, and Mouse is curling himself protectively around him. He says, I hurt absolutely everywhere. I'd learned to block out pain under the harsh lessons of Justin Damore, but it went only so far. Lashiel had shown me a different technique. So he's using the power of mind over matter, and he begins to sit up, and he probably looks like shit. My God, Harry, Butter said. His voice was thick and slurred as if he were holding his nose. His hand pushed up on my shoulder. Don't sit up. How bad is it? It's pretty hideous, but I don't think he actually perforated the abdominal wall. Skin and tissue damage, but you did some bleeding. You think? <laughs> and in this in this moment, he's like, I, ju- I work. He, he describes gutter butters as a little green around the gills. I says, you okay? Yeah, yeah, fine. It's just, I work with corpses because I couldn't handle, you know, actually living people. <laughs> feel your pain, man. Feel your pain. The dead are so much easier. He's like, you can look, you can eat lunch looking at a three-month-old corpse, but first aid on my stomach is too much to handle? Yeah, I mean, you're still alive. That's just weird. <laughs> Which I love it. And we learn he's only been out for about 15 minutes. He found some basic first aid items in Labor Spot's bag. And he says, you need a hospital. 
maybe later. And so the book had been, he, we, he talks about what Lashiella told him. The book had been written in German. And he's kind of going over that. And they translated the text for the Dark Hollow. Then Harry says to Butters, I told you to run. I was doing that heroic rearguard thing. You screwed it all up. Sorry, he answered, his voice serious. But I got outside and I couldn't run. I mean, I wanted to. I really wanted to. But after all you've done for me, I just couldn't do that. And so he had gone out and gotten mouse and in they came. And the two of them, they saved Harry. He says, another five minutes, I'd have been history. I did, didn't I? Butter saved him. And he's so stamped brave of you. You think? Yeah. And check it out, he says, just just turning to his face, his mouth open in a toothy smile. I have a broken nose, don't I? He's so proud of it. Like a boxer or maybe a tough as nails gumshoe. And I love it. But it's, you know, Butters is, he stepped up. And they also, he also has a moment. They killed Cassius. And that's a hard thing. But Harry says, don't kid yourself. I'm the one who killed him. All you did was try to help me. That's not what I mean either. I feel sorry for him. Don't. He was a monster. But he was also a man. Or was once. He was so bitter, so much hate. He had a horrible life. Note the past tense. Had. And But then he explains to, to Harry about the death curse. And to die alone, what does that mean? I don't know. Not sure I want to. Butters, I don't have any right to ask this of you. I'm already in your debt. But I need your help. You have it. I haven't even told you what it is. I know. But you have it. Aww. One little assault and you've gone habitual. Next thing I know, you'll be forming up a fight club. (laughs) I love it. And so they are gonna prepare for the Dark Hollow. So this isn't a rite, it's a big spell. It all depends on drawing together a ton of dark spiritual energy. Like what? A lot of things. The necromantic energy around animated corpses and manifested shades. The predatory spirits of ancient hunters. All the fear that's been growing since last night. Plus the past several years have been some serious magical turbulence around Chicago. Kemmler's disciples can put that turbulence to work for them. So basically this is all a stirring melting pot of power, energy, and bad shit. So... You know, it's the whoever's going to consume the energy, poof, Instagod. But it's going to be a funnel, like trying to inhale or tornado. But we also learned that the vortex itself is deadly. It's going to draw off the life of everything around it. It will kill everything. Not at first, but when the wizard at the vortex draws down the power, it's going to create a vacuum where all that power will be used. The vacuum will, will rip life will rip away the life energy of everything within a mile. Dear God, that will kill thousands of people. Only if they finish the spell. So, in order to survive it, you have to surround yourself with necromantic energies. And so, Harry has picked up a saddle from Buffalo Bill's exhibit. But he says, what are you going to do? Get to the center of the vortex. The, in, the effort it will take to work the spell is incredible. I don't care how good Cowl is. If I hit him as he tries to draw down the vortex, it's going to shake his concentration. The spell will be ruined. The backlash will kill him. And everyone will be all right. 
That's the plan. And Butters makes a good point. Harry, you have to call up the dead yourself then. And you need a drummer. The laws of, and then he says, the laws of magic specifically refer to the abuse of magic when used against our fellow human beings. Technically, it only counts if you call up human corpses. But you told me that everyone calls humans. Right. So the laws of magic only address necromancy as used on human corpses. There usually isn't any need for a distinction. Natty necromancers only call up humans. Sane wizards don't touch necromancy at all. I don't think anyone has tried something like this before. It's going to be dangerous. I think we can do it. But I can't make you any promises. I don't know if I can protect you. You can't try it without someone's help. And if you don't stop it, the spell will kill thousands of people. And so Butters volunteers to be the drummer. He's got his polka suit. And it's in the trunk, so we got it. <coughs> then, I, then I looked up and up and up. Another flash of lightning illuminating the pale, towering terror of Sue. The most complete Tyrannosaurus skeleton mankind has ever discovered. Okay, Butters, I told him. Go get it. I just love the buildup on that. But it, it also, it's, it's, this book is so great for Butters because he's just kind of been building and building and building and becoming this stronger, absolutely terrified, which is understood. Mm-hmm. But he's just, he's turning into a stronger sidekick and I love it. Absolutely. I love that he, he recognized that Harry would need a drummer, right? Yeah. Like, Again, like he's really showing his power. He's smart. You know, he said he has a uh, actually has a genius level IQ. Like he's he's yeah. smart as fuck. And now he's actually gotten past the fear, some of the fear, and he's able to apply his strengths. Again, it's that competency that we see that Harry surrounds himself with, and we, we've seen that all the way back in it, the actions were in grave peril. I think we heard learned about it in Death Masks about mm-hmm. him recognizing that the corpses were yeah. not human. But even earlier in this book, he tells Butters that the fear doesn't go away. You just get used to it and learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And this is Butters learning how to deal with it. And he seems very much like it's that whole concept of like, when the world goes to hell, take action. And he's very much the world is going to hell. He is fucking terrified, but he's decided to not sit back and let it happen. He's taking action. And I love that about Butters. Absolutely. So beyond all the communications being out, beyond all the power being out and the dark hallow going on with zombies and shades and all sorts of shit going on all over the place, there's a vicious storm, the kind that comes only once or twice in a century. Harry had never seen its equal. It was because of the magical forces, but that doesn't change the fact that it makes this whole thing more, it makes this whole situation more interesting, certainly from a visual standpoint, you want to make a scene look cooler, just throw in some rain, but uh, definitely, you know, this this crazy powerful storm as a result of all the magical energy they've been stirring around. Lissy mentioned that, right? Like they were intentionally stirring up all these powers to try Mm -hmm. to make things unstable. And this is a side effect of that instability. We still, uh, he still feels the Earl King's presence and the wild hunt as well. I didn't mention that before, but that's another, just another piece of the puzzle. That's making things a little bit more explosive, adding to this. What's it called? World war one. Franz Ferdinand was this. Soup. Yeah. It was like the something, catalyst. Something that, yeah, but it was like explosive something or something. Fuck. 
Something like a keg about to explode. Either way. Powder keg. There you go. The Wild Hunt was there to add to this powder keg just to make things that much more, again, explosive and, and ready to Volatile. Just... Volatile. There you go. That's a great one. But uh, they can see this vortex from all the way where they are now. I mean, it is a extremely large and terrifying situation. We know exactly where to go. They destroy the entrance of the museum as they head out. I love how they keep it. It's not a secret. It's just, they don't tell you right away, right? That he's what he's writing. Yeah. He says, Butters is clutching at his shoulders with both hands to hold himself steady. He's pumping his feet to make the bass drum keep bumping on his back. Mm -hmm. And, Harry says he laid his hand, I laid, <clears throat> I laid my hand on the rough, pebbled skin of my steed and willed it forward. The saddle lurched and I clutched hard with my other hand to stay on. The first few steps were the worst. The saddle sat at a sharp incline, not too unlike that on a rearing horse. But as my mount gathered speed, the length of her body tilted forward until her spine was almost parallel with the ground. I didn't know this before. But as it turns out, Tyrannosaurus can really haul ass. <laughs> Absolutely so wonderful. I love it. Description of her. It's just, she's freaking ginormous. Oh, yeah. I do. You know, it's the Jurassic Park style dinosaur with the yeah. scales and uh, not the actual Feathered one. I really do want to see in like a movie a like actual cool ass feathered Tyrannosaur. Yeah, but but he did say that he did this. He he'd called forth the energy to to kind of give it muscle and flesh. This is his will. Yeah, working here for sure makes sense. And and again, at this point in time, that is where what we thought they looked like. It was kind of just dumb that the new Jurassic Parks didn't go that route just because it would have been fucking cool in my mind. Interesting, but it's probably less scary and more expensive in CGI. Yeah, I was thinking that. Maybe they tried to do it and like in some pre-production stuff and it just didn't work out. It might have looked goofy too. Probably. And we do have this cultural consciousness around the reptilian Mm -hmm. looking ones, but boy can dream, can he? (laughs) She was as long as a city bus and she, but she moved with power and grace. He obviously called forth ectoplasm, the temporary matter of the, that to, that entities of the never, never use to create mass. It's universal goo. Yeah, exactly. Universal goo. Universal glue, Play-Doh, whatever. Very, very true. And he took that, obviously he took the saddle that he, we, Lissy mentioned and used that. He threw that around, tied it with an, uh, e, an extension cord. And there's two saddles, but now they're on the back of the Tyrannosaur, which is so many versions of ridiculous and wonderful and spectacular. So spectacular. And he, he reminds Butters to keep on pounding that drum. And Butters says, yeah, of course, you know, uh, otherwise there's no more dinosaur. And he's like, no, 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 there will be a dinosaur. Uh, we just will have <laughs> no control over it. It's going to do whatever the hell it wants, which is interesting. That that is how it works. And he mentioned that again before, but still to see that he will, um, breaking this 
once you've risen, you've raised these creatures, they're going to be around until that power kind of wears off. Presumably that'll be sunrise. I would imagine as most spells that's have what been. everything else does. So yeah, exactly. But they'll be able to do whatever the fuck they want. And a Tyrannosaur running around Chicago doing whatever the fuck it wants. As Harry it mentions, we a little bit unnerving. And Harry says it here. You know, look at the senseless victims of Jurassic Park too. Which I love. The gymnastics scene in that movie is my favorite scene in any movie. If you know it, you know it. If not, YouTube it. It's the dumbest. <laughs> Either way. They're blasting down the street. And he mentions there's another thing he didn't know about Tyrannosaurus. They don't corner well. <laughs> Smashes some buildings and some cars. Again, so, I'm, listening to these chapters, which James Marsh was reading in the first time I went through, I was literally like laughing out loud. Mm-hmm. Some of them were just so spectacular. Oh, absolutely. And he does such a good job with the humor of the, of the piece, you know. Um, and the pace. He, he's really good with the pacing. Absolutely. But literally laughing out loud. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely wonderful. And it's a really, it's the climax of the novel. So it's very important. But it's also just like so fucking cool. <laughs> just, yeah. Just love everything about it. It's just cool. It is just flipping cool. Mm-hmm. I imagine these street names are accurate. He turns down Sheridan, whatever. Oh, Second City. Who was it? One of our readers corrected us that it's not second to New York. It's because the fire. It's, oh. it's the second time. It was built. To, it was the Great Chicago Fire. It was built again. Exactly. So it's the second time the city has been built. Okay. That's, that's where Second, second city, city came comes from. In. That's fascinating and super awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you for whoever gave the, gave us that information. I love it, and I am a huge like um, history nerd. Like I love those random bits of knowledge and. Like when I travel, I love to do the, the historical shit. Like when I went to Se- Seattle, my mom and I did the underground tour. Our mom and I did a, the underground tour. It was just so rad. We did all the cheesy history shit in Boston as well. We did Salem. It's just neat. It's neat to have those weird historical peek in sort of stuff. I'm looking up who it was real quick. Oh, it's great. That's also probably why I pull up a lot of random factoids. Because <laughs> I just love factoids. They make me happy. Shit, where did that come from? One last check, place to check. Damn it. I can't find the message right now. I apologize. Oh, maybe it was on Patreon? Last thing. Let me check. I'm sorry. I'm the one who talked about the bunch, but I also don't like talking to you. Damn it. I can't find who it was. I apologize. Um, but I do love that thought. I pause. But yeah, so the second city is based on they rebuilt the city after the uh, 1908, I believe, the big fire. It's awesome. Which is a way cooler reason for it to be named that. And I love it. I wish I could track it down. I'll, maybe I can find it in a bit. But he, he brings Sue down to where. And obviously it's funny that he's smashing cars and, and buildings and stuff. But the reality is there's a lot of people in Chicago and he could really cause some damage to people, much less the property. So he's, he is worried about it, but he does need to hustle and get down there. And they get down to this campus in Evanston, if I recall. And we, he sees from a ways off the wardens 
are in a circle protecting a bunch of children. Yeah. And we see how fucking powerful and cool these wardens really are. They're mm-hmm. we've kind of heard about really powerful wizards and you know how what they can do. We see Lucio absolutely fucking devastating these these zombies like it's nothing. Morgan gets, you know, some pub here with some really cool stuff as well. It's just very much these are not people to fuck with, for sure, mm-hmm. which is very cool to see. Again, the show don't tell kind of thing. We, we've heard about these guys in the past, and now we really, one of the first times we've really seen it in action, how fucking just bananas powerful these guys can be. Yeah. The fr- He says, dear God, I, saw, I suddenly saw the difference between a strong but somewhat clumsy young wizard and a master of the magic of battle. Cool, too, that, that dichotomy between the two. Yeah, and we see this throughout the series, but he has as much power as basically anyone. Like, he's mm-hmm. fucking powerful as balls. Well, and in the stairwell, Kumari actually says that, that Cal has respect for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how everybody keeps saying, well, you should be dead. If you encounter them, you should be dead. And so it's he, he and it's the other people saying he has a lot of power. Which I think is kind of cool. He he talks about that as well. Like, he's got a great punch, but he has, like, no real, like, finesse, right? Like, he's just, he's a bruiser, basically, as far, magically. And he he can blast these Frazares. He can blast his fire. Not now, obviously. But usually he's got great power with his fire. But he, he can't do the, like, she has this little, like, thin line of fire, right? His fire spell is just a big tornado of fire, exactly. Just blasting through, right? And it's very interesting to see the difference here between the two, right? And it's it's that TNT is not quite the right, right word. I maybe mean, it's focused power mm-hmm. versus his maelstrom of power. Maelstrom, that's a great word. <laughs> that's all I, I got. Know, right? But yeah, no, for sure. We also see the swords. We've seen Morgan's sword. Mm-hmm. We really see the their power as well. The Warden's swords are enchanted to be able to destroy any magic. Hmm. Which is a really cool idea and something that a magical police person, that, something that a magical law enforcement kind of being would, would really <laughs> use, you know, would, would make sense, right? And, and could, yeah. would need, but it, it's a cool, well thought out tool and you know we see different items that can cut back on magic right between circles and the thorn manacles but all the wardens have these these swords which do that which is just a really cool piece of the lore the gray cloak and the sword is kind of their thing which is cool and seeing them work is great we we get a lot of this fight here there's the zombies and trying to not necessarily kill the kids specifically, but they're just trying to cause havoc and the kids are easy havoc, I think. Mm. But it's interesting. And Harry remarks, you know, where the wardens went out of their way to save these kids at a party. Some woman was screaming for help and they couldn't save the woman, but they got all the kids out. And Harry remarks that that's, skipping ahead here, but they talk about it here that we wouldn't think that based on what we've seen of wardens in the past, right? Again, like Morgan's just a 
one track mind douchebag for vengeance. And we see now that the wardens can actually serve and protect and, and do good things, right? Maybe they're not all bad apples or whatever. Yeah. But we kind of we kind of got that though with his behavior toward Terry is not normal when they were at Max. Yeah, for sure. And it's, Lucio it's was like, hey, bro, we ain't all like that. Yeah, no, this is just, again, more show, showing that in action. Yeah. Displaying the, their abilities without brute force. Exactly. They're steadily moving forward and just absolutely, you know, wardenifying these guys. We, we don't really hear a lot about Kowalski or... What's the... Yoshimo. Uh, Yoshimo. Uh, we don't hear a lot about Kowalski or Yoshimo. Ramirez gets a little bit of do here, but... Wallen Schmo. <laughs> exactly. He's got some green energy that Harry's never seen before. But um, it's very clear that Morgan and Lucio are on a completely different level than the other Wardens. Oh, yeah. Which, again, makes sense, right? They're the, the oldest ones. Ramirez, they're, the other three are very young. But it's, it's, again, cool to see that in action, kind of the different power levels as we go. But it also, he also says that when he first, like, I mean, Ramirez is the, of the three baby wizards, mm-hmm. is the most powerful. And he last saw him in a an apprentice rope. Exactly. You know? So it's like, if he's the most powerful, then those two are, like, they were apprentices after Harry was out of the out of the rounds with the white council. Yeah, no, for sure. So it, it's very clear that, and we saw that right They're re- recruiting people as quick as they can. So these Yoshimo and Kowalski and probably Ramirez really aren't ready to be wardens. They're just not, but necessity, they're doing what they have to do here. And it's going to be to Yoshimo's peril here in a moment. But Lee Xian try comes up with a sucker, a sucker punch here. He tries to drive a car into this party and he gets relatively close, but Sue smashes the fuck out of it, which I love. Love Sue. Just so great. And there's a, again, a great Jurassic park reference here where yes, they get him out from under the car and he, uh, covers this covers his head with his hands. And uh, Butters is like, what's he doing? Didn't he see the, the movie with the lawyer? When he's in the bathroom and he just covers his head and the Tredosaur eats him. Very uh, similar situation here with Sue. Harry hops off. You know, sorry I'm late. And we have this moment where Lucio is much more calm about it. But Lucio and, and Morgan both really have the same reaction, I'd say, right? Oh, uh, holy fuck, what the hell did he do? <laughs> like, what on earth are you doing, you know, with a you know throwing necromancy around like this is yeah black ma- it's not even black magic right we've seen so in this novel it's an entirely different kind of magic like that cold slithering kind of different feel to it it's there's it's mentioned multiple times Harry mentions it and I believe Kamori mentions it where magic is about life mm-hmm. necromancy is about death. Which is interesting because it brings people back from there. But I understand. I understand. Yeah, but it's it's the ma- it's the magic of death. It's the power of death. Yada yada. Mm-hmm, for sure. Do do do. Dark power. And he explains why it's necessary. Because, as he mentioned to Butters earlier, he learned that from the book that you can't get near the vortex unless you have 
necromantic energy around mm-hmm. you, which is a great defense for Kemmler and his people when planning and creating whether or not he created, it sounds like he created this spell, but when planning and creating this spell, because that means the wardens will not get close, right? That you're keeping out the white hats and to preventing them from interfering with your ritual or spell, which is very clever. You don't get to be the badass leader of the necromancers by collecting bottle caps either, I guess. He mentions that he found the book briefly. Butters, he introduces him as his drummer. And here's where she explains about the kids. Again, I, I love to see in action kind of what we learned about the wardens. Again, like they were always mm-hmm. these douchebags. And here we see them actually doing some good in the world. And here we learn about Yoshimo is injured. And Morgan... <laughs> Instead of, you know, literally any other angle he could take, <laughs> he is, um, decides to talk shit on her swordsmanship and why she, it was her fault for, you know, attempting to just be kicked in the balls. Like, he's seriously. just such an asshole. He just needs, he, someone just needs to throat punch him or kick him in the balls. I don't care which. Honestly, truly. I mean, and he's supposed to be huge. So like throat punching would be punching up for me, but I'd still do it. Why not? Go get him. <laughs> but she's now injured. She got broken femur. It sounds like she's, she's out of the fight, which again, we already didn't have enough to do this. And now we're one down. I love Lucio's response to her injury. Obviously they want to take care of her, you know, get her stable and stuff, but put her in the building where she can see the entrance and, you know, she can cover the, the entrance so that if we have a place to fall back to again, just thinking tactically with the situation, we see her competence and her power, which is very cool. And of course, once we deal with these zombies, immediately corpse takers shades slide in and we get more battling, more fighting because Sue is also of the never, never and ectoplasmy. She can fight them and she can devour them and do all sorts of stuff. Although we saw earlier in the novel that the ghosts and the, and humans can interact, right? One of them cut Thomas, Mm -hmm. but certainly Sue has a cleaner path to it. (laughs) And yet again, Butters doing Butters things, which is great. Yep. It sounds like he doesn't realize he's getting surrounded and attacked, but of course he does. He was wildly looking around for Butters. He spotted the little guy five yards away on his hands and knees on the crosswalk, his legs still kicking wildly to keep the drum going. Three of the specters were closing in. Butters, I shouted and rose to go to him. But two more specters dove at me and forced me to crouch behind my shield. I could only watch what happened as the three undead swarmed butters and attacked him. You for a moment thought, right? Sir. (laughs) Butters spun around wildly, his eyes down, evidently not even aware that they were coming. Harry doesn't really give him the credit he deserves quite yet here, because as the specter swings his weapon down, well, he's worried about his friend. I get it. But as he swings the weapon down, it shatters against the curving curtain of empowered circles. Butters saw it coming, kept the drum going, and empowered a circle to protect himself against the specters, which, again, is so cool to see him coming along. So, it For most other characters, I don't know how much sense it would make, but for Butters, because Butters is all about like intellect and knowledge, and he now has this knowledge. He now has this tool, and he did it so many times when they were using the GPS mm-hmm. that it's something that is much, a little, not quite natural for him, but it, it is practiced. And I really love that, that this is just, this is a perfect example of Butters. Would you expect other characters to do it? Not necessarily this quickly. 
But he is a learned man. Mm-hmm. And he learns things. And he learned this. And I love it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, for sure. We see the corpse taker pop out from under a veil. And Harry warns Lucio whether he needed to or not. Probably, I think, you know, I think it's, he did actually do her a solid here. But again, we see Lucio, like, just kind of very casually batting away the corpse taker. Just very much, we've seen corpse taker have this power that we'd never seen before with mind magic, but also seemed to be incredibly strong. The ghoul was calling him, her, whatever, my lord. So very clearly a powerful being. And again, Lucio's just, like, dismissing, you know, casually blocking the swing. Like, Lucio's a badass which is percent again. It's just cool to see people who are good at stuff doing cool stuff, right? Just in life, in books, in stories, Harry's still controlling Sue. He's not riding her at this point. It took me a second to kind of, he's like, I dropped my staff. I was like, why the fuck would he drop his staff? Like off of Sue, but he's on the ground still. So he dropped it real quickly, touched Sue and then picked it back up. The battles, you know, they seem to, to be winning the bat fight here, but we hear inside children screaming, and Ramirez yelling, get down, get down. Morgan is also screaming a, a challenge. And Lucio finishes off the corpse taker, drives the tip of her blade just under her, the floating ribs. Corpse taker's mad smile never faltered. And I love, again, they reveal, you know, three seconds later. So it's not exactly like a, a, a huge thing, but I do love the clue we get here where Corpse taker falls to her knees. She stared down at her chest, pressed her hands tightly to the wound. She looked up again, staring at Lucio and then me. Her eyes clouded over with confusion, and she slowly toppled to the side. We know, at this point, that they've switched switched bodies here, but it is really cool to see that they kind of left that little, just that, that slight, subtle little, clue in there just it just makes it kind of um, mm-hmm. i think it's interesting lucio says come wizard we have no time to waste after they've all but killed the corpse taker and harry says you're gonna leave her there which is meant to add to him kind of figuring out detectiving this yeah but what else what else would she do right like i, I that that is a hard one because it's like she's not completely dead though she's still fair twitching and i think that's it's just such a weird moment. Makes sense. Like, why would you leave her alive, I guess? Yeah. It did just kind of, not even out of place, just like, I get what he's trying to do with it. It just seemed kind of funky is all. Yeah. No, I take that. I agree. I, I, can, I can take that. I agree with that. But it's serving a purpose here that he's trying to, he's very quickly figuring out that Lucio's not right. And again, this, this phrasing here has definitely got me where, where she says, are you all right? Perfectly. Gravain and Cal remain. We must find them and kill them, not stop them. Yeah. We must kill them, right? That to me very clearly meant it wasn't her. And she also calls him wizard. Mm-hmm. When she said that, I was like, oh. No, definitely. Very, very, again, relatively subtle things here. And we do love that Harry picks up on him. Oh, yeah. He's both the most unobservant and suspicious <laughs> character ever. <laughs> I stood there for a second, staring at Lucio's back, 
I lifted the pentacle and looked at Corpse Taker's body, lying on its side in the rain. She twitched a little, her dark eyes wide and staring blindly, her face pale, and my stomach twisted in sudden fear. I stepped around the corner of the building with my forty-four in hand, aimed at the back of Lucio's head, drew back the hammer, and shouted, my voice harsh and hard, Corpse Taker! Lucio's steps faltered. Her head snapped around to look at me, and in her eyes, I saw a brutal cruelty that could never have belonged to the captain of the wardens. I felt the tug of a soul gaze, but I made my decision in the moment that my voice caused her steps to falter. She opened her mouth, and I saw the corpse taker's madness twist Lucio's eyes, felt the sudden dark tension as she began to gather power. She never got it. In that single second of uncertainty, Corpse Taker had been relying upon her disguise to defend her, and had her mind bent upon planning her next step, not preparing her death curse. The bullet from my forty-four hit her just over her right cheekbone. Things about Corpse Taker in the body of Alicia. She was laying there twitching, but no death curse was uttered. And you know for a fact that bitch would throw out a death curse. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, there were all of these things. She called him wizard. There was no death curse. She was still twitching. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely suspicious, obviously. I dig it. I definitely dig it. And of course, as these timing always happens, I heard a low, strangled sound. I looked up to see Morgan standing in the building's doorway, sword in hand. Captain? Again, I don't want to, like, sit here and pick and pick and pick, but, like, Morgan, this is not what, this isn't what it looks like. It, I fucking hate that line. Too, but it's, Morgan is such a douchebag that like, I, like, would like, how would, how else would you present that? Would be like, she's corpse taker, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how you could fix that though. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I, I really do. It's just like such a cliched, like false conflict kind of line like it bothers me in general because it's it was corpse taker it was corpse taker they switch bodies they switch yeah. bodies look 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 that's how i would do it <laughs> yes. but again it's not the end of the world it's just like no you could have spent a little bit more time on those two lines that i mentioned in here and it makes the chapter a lot better in my mind mm-hmm. but morgan finishes with you murderer traitor oh shit so Morgan tries to take out Harry and Morgan has very strong earth magic. Harry says he'd never fought against earth magic in earnest before, but he knew enough. Harry seems to know a little bit about everything. And so he put his gun in his pocket and runs like his tail is on fire to a tree. He forzories himself up into the tree and everything's crashing and shaking and, and Morgan is bellowing and snarling in rage and charging at the tree. And... There was a flash of light as the blade cut all the way through the tree's trunk, the heat of all that force setting both sides of the cut on fire as the tree started to fall. And, you know, he jumps off the tree as it's going down, and he says, Morgan, for God's sake, that wasn't Lucio. Lies. That was Corpse Taker, the body thief. She let Lucio gut her and then switched places with her. His answer was an almost incoherent snarl. He came the last several feet faster than I could have believed and lashed out at me with the sword. I brought my shield up and deflected the blow, but the impact of it slammed painfully against the whole left side of my body. There was more than simple physics behind the blade. And there's zombies and 
everything running about. He says, Morgan, Lucio might still be alive, but not if she doesn't get help or soon. We can't do this. And Morgan is distracted by his rage. More lies, he says. And he just keeps coming. And there's a shrieking scream in my head rather than in my ears. I don't know how to describe it, except to say that bad audio feedback is musical and soothing by comparison. The power in the silver sword hit my defensive shield and simply undid it. Unraveled it so that all the energy in it went flying apart in all directions, while a hot, tingling pain flashed through my left arm where I wore the bracelet. Morgan keeps going. He's And now they're, he's using his staff to protect himself from the blade. And Morgan is looking surprised at how well Harry's moving. And Harry gains a little bit of ground. And they just, he knows he can't win. He can't outrun him. He's injured. And then so Sue spun around as Morgan charged, leaned down low, and opened her vast jaws in a bellow of challenge. Say what you will about Morgan. The man was no coward. But the bellow of an angry Tyrannosaur is enough to give any mammal a moment or two of doubt. So he skidded to a stop, stares at Sue, then at Harry, and then he took a deep breath and then reached out his right hand where there was a low, yawning, humming sound that shook the air around his fingers. No, not even this creature will keep you from justice this time, Dresden, even if I have to die doing it. I stared at Morgan, the same old frustration and fear suddenly yielding to a realization. I had always assumed that Morgan's irrational hatred was something personal, reserved for me, and me alone. I had assumed that, for whatever reason, Morgan's, Morgan's persecution was the result of the political and philosophical enmity of certain members of the White Council, that he was nothing but a pawn for someone higher up in the game. But politicians don't make good kamikazes. That kind of dedication is reserved for zealots of principle and lunatics. For the first time, I considered that notion that perhaps Morgan's hate was not directed at me personally, but at those that he truly believed to be violators of the laws of magic, murderers, and traitors. I knew people who would face death, even embrace it rather than surrender their principles. Karen Murphy was one of them, and I was friends with most of the rest. At the end of the day, Morgan was a cop. And his duties were the same, pursue combat and apprehend those who violated the laws put in place to protect people from harm. And so this is, he's made the realization that he's a burnt out cop. I didn't feel contempt for burnt out cops. I didn't feel anger towards them. All I ever felt was sadness and empathy for their pain. They'd seen too much in their daily battle against criminals. 10 or 20 or 30 years of witnessing the most monstrous aspects of humanity had slowly turned them into walking casualties of war. And Morgan had been on his beat for more than a century. Morgan didn't hate me. He hated the bad guys. Morgan, I rasped, please don't. We can't let Corpse Hicker divide us like this. Can't you see that it was her intention when she took Lucio? Traitor. Liar. My God, man, thousands of people are about to die. And you will be the first. If he charged me again... I wouldn't have any choice but to fight. And he was at least as strong as me and far more experienced, not to mention the enchantment-breaking silver sword in his hand. If I didn't kill him fast, he would kill me. I couldn't run. I couldn't survive fighting him, regardless of whether or not I beat him. The best I could hope for would be to take him with me. If I died, Sue would go wild, reverting to the instincts of her ancient spirit. She would hunt. People would die. But if Morgan died, it would leave only Kowalski and Ramirez to stop Cal and Gravain even if they could manage to pull off some kind of mechanomancy to shield them from the vortex as they went in they would never be able to beat 
the necromancers within. They would certainly die, and not long after that, the Dark Hollow would annihilate thousands of innocent lives. So even in all of this, his life is at stake. He's thinking about others. He died doing what was right. I mean, this he almost died. He's, he almost dies doing the right thing. Exactly. And I, uh, I leaned my suddenly trembling hand on Sue's leg, and she sank back into a passive crouch. Morgan let out a bellow of defiance and determination and rushed me. I lowered my shield. My heart pounded with a fear so strong that I nearly threw up. The lightning gleamed on the silver blade of his sword. I dropped my staff to the ground and faced him, arms up my sides, my hands clenched into terrified fists. I readied my will, my own death curse, picturing Gravain in my thoughts. At least I could give the wardens a better chance for victory if I could kill or cripple one of the bastards on my way out. Time stretched into an endless moment. I watched Morgan's sword sweep up to the vertical, the blade a gorgeous silver that reflected the lightning ripping against the spinning vortex behind me. Harry! Butter screamed, his voice horrified, the drum pounding frantically. As Morgan struck, I took the coward's way out and closed my eyes. I knew that it was inevitable that one day I would die, but I didn't want to watch it coming. A gunshot rang out. Morgan jerked at his hips, suddenly thrown off balance. He spun gracelessly and fell to the floor. He still raised his right hand with deep and terrifying power. Everything about that description I love. And Morgan snapped a woman's voice. It rang with authority and confidence, with command. The speaker damned well knew that when she gave an order, it would be obeyed and imbued the command with a power that had nothing to do with magic. Stand down. Again, you know, we, we see that Lucio is a badass, but the fact that she can, in a different voice, still convince Morgan yeah. of her authority is just really it's cool. It's fantastic. But also, I like that Ramirez knew that Morgan wouldn't believe him. And that, so he soul gazed her. Did it very quickly. Yeah. But again, it, it's, he trusts Harry because why the fuck wouldn't we trust Harry? But remember, we also, he idolizes Harry. Yeah, we see that in a minute that he's very much. We, well, we heard about, but we heard about that from Lucio. When they're at Max, she says that these young wizards, they idolize you. You're their hero. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's very, this is a perfect example of that. They idolize him. And why? Why exactly. and why would he? And, you know they have a back and forth. Morgan's still not fully convinced. No, but why would he be? Of course, of course, right? But well, I mean, also it is kind of iffy. We, we, this guy that he knows is a traitor. He knows is a ticking time bomb. He's clearly used necromancy and dark magic, mm -hmm. and he shoots the captain in the head from behind. Like I, I get Morgan's suspicion. It does look like cold blood, cold blooded murder, hundred percent. Cold blooded jelly donut. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I get Morgan's, especially being Morgan, yeah. his suspicion here. And, you know, he says, you aren't the captain. You can't be. It's a trick. Donald, dear idiot, I'm the one who trained you. I'm fairly certain that you do not know as much as I do about who I am. And he's finally convinced. I love her. Uh, yeah, just, she's really. She, I mean, it's a great character. And just the way that she's portrayed and the way that she acts throughout is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. The thing that really gets over the top, I think is like, she shows that she can use the warden sword, which obviously she would not be able to do if she was a bad guy, if she was a bad guy. Exactly. He starts to apologize. And, and Lucia's like, no time. It's like, let's get moving. Douchebag. Obviously 
Lucio's out of the fight. She needs some, she, you know, she, she thinks she has a mortal wound here. Mm-hmm. Ramirez shot Morgan in the knee. So we're down Kowalski. We're down Lucio. We're down Morgan. All that's left. Morgan kind of deserved it. Oh, that's fair. Absolutely. Kowalski died. No, isn't Kowalski injured? Ramirez paled. He glanced back at the apartment building and oh. shook his head. He was sitting on the floor when the specters rose out of it. He never had a chance. Oh, shit. Okay. So Kowalski's KIA. Lucio is on her way. Morgan is obviously injured and out of the fight. Ubar. It is down to Ramirez and Harry. Again, we have a good moment here with Butters where Harry tells him he wants him to stay behind. All he needs to do is keep the uh, drum going and Sue will stay under his control. I do love Butters. Butters, you know, again, says, I'm not afraid to die fighting beside you. And Harry says, look at it this way. If we blow it, you get to die anyhow, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. Harry says, come on, Ramirez. And he says, everyone else who lets me ride on their dinosaur calls me Carlos. (laughs) They hop in. And uh, Butters says, God be with you, Harry. I'll take whatever help I can get. They get hustling. They take Sue towards the fight. Again, they have that back and forth that Lissy mentioned where, you know, some of the newer, younger wardens are, I won't say predisposed to believe, but they like the cut of Harry's jib and they recognize that he's not a bad guy and it's kind of bullshit how all this has gone, you know, how the council has treated them. It was an interesting line there where he says that you mentioned it, that he was an apprentice and a lot of the other apprentices when he first got brought in front of the council, a lot of the other ones are still apprentices. Mm -hmm. Harry was what? It's gotta be over 10 years ago. So we get, you know, we never really have gotten an idea of how long a typical wizard apprenticeship is, but that's definitely longer than I was thinking, which is just interesting. Again, just kind of world building and lore. It takes a long fucking time. Longer than your typical uh, apprenticeship in the trades. Yeah. You know, we've talked before about white council level being really big, but it takes a long Mm -hmm. time to get to the white council level. Yeah. It's, it's no joke to be on the white council. No. And it, and it's tells you a lot about the senior members too. Mm -hmm. For sure. About time and age and. Yeah. And just like power, how ridiculously powerful they really must be. You know, we've seen Harry's power level grow so much in this amount of time and we're like not even close to the level of he's nowhere close to the senior council level, right? Like not even close. No. The, the good exchange where uh we've seen stuff like this before, but he describes the working to raise Sue as not complicated, difficult but not complicated. Basically, lifting up an engine block isn't complicated, it's just a lot of work. And Ramirez says, I'm impressed. Harry says, when you do something stupid and die, it's pathetic. When you do something stupid and survive it, then you get to call it impressive or heroic. What we're doing right now, it's pathetic, isn't it? Probably. On the other hand, if we survive, we're heroes, medals, girls, endorsements, cars. Maybe they put us on a cereal box. Seems the least they could do. (laughs) He gives him the lowdown on on the bad guys who are left. The Ramirez, Chad broing about Komori's a thing Bro. but ramirez ends up the guy with with the plan here he says that they're they're gonna take on gravain together and then when they go for cowl it makes sense for harry to take cowl he's he's the stronger obviously of harry's the stronger of the two and i like that ramirez doesn't hesitate to like admit that right like oh yeah um it's not like a tough guy thing here like harry you're harry's stronger period 
we need to, we need, yeah, we need to win this fight. It doesn't make sense to like be stupid here, which is great. Again, just like competency and doing things, things making sense, right? I mean, Ramirez is a clever guy as we've seen, but it's just cool to see it again. He's so brash and arrogant, I guess, confident earlier in this conversation, but he doesn't hesitate when it gets down to brass tacks. This is how we're going to win. I can take Kumori on. I'm confident there. You're stronger than me. You have to go after Cowell and then I can circle back and help. And he says, sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. I just wish it sounded like a winning plan. You got a better idea? No? Well then, shut up and dance. I do like Ramirez. (laughs) I love it a lot. Okay, so we are on the campus and they're heading up to the Mitch Museum and... Standing in silent ranks around the circle were Gravain's style of undead. Very solid, very physical. There were relatively few of them in the half-rotted or desiccated condition of the corpses that had attacked my place. These undead looked like they might have still have been saved by a snappy EMT. They all looked like Native American tribesmen, just as corpse-takers specters had, though the styles of clothing and weaponry were slightly different. One other thing was different, too. These undead radiated a kind of hideous, ephemeral cold, and their skin almost seemed to glow with its own pale, horrible light. I could sense the raw power that lay within them, even from a hundred yards away. These undead were different from those that I had attacked, the wardens, as different as an old pickup truck was from a modern battle tank. These zombies would not be so easily destroyed as those others, and were likely to be far stronger and far faster. Well, fuck. Gravain's got some pretty badass, tough zombies. and um, But we've got Sue. We've got Sue on our side, right? That, I said in a low, board, low voice, is a lot of badass zombies. And ghosts, Ramirez said. And ghosts. Look at it this way. With that many of them, how can we miss? <coughs> yeah. Cool. So Sue leaps in and starts going after zombies. She's tearing them up and... After her devastating initial charge, I heard a frantic man's voice shout from within the circle, and the zombies turned to attack. They whipped up bows and spears and clubs, or tore at Sue with their bare hands. It wasn't pretty. One zombie rammed a spear cleanly through the massive muscle of Sue's right leg. The swinging club shattered several of her teeth, and even as I watched, an unarmed zombie leapt up onto her flank and got a hold of the heavy extension cord that held the saddles in place, then drove his fist into her flesh up to the elbow and started raking out gobbles of tissue by the handful. All this did was piss Sue off. And so she roared so loudly that my chest and belly shook and my ears screamed with pain. So Sue goes off. It was like riding a carnivorous earthquake. And Ramirez points out Gravain in his trench coat and fedora. That that line, by the way, sorry, beat. that, that huh? carnivorous earthquake line was just I, so uh-huh. fucking good. I love that. It's great. Very clever. Very, very clever. I agree completely. And I willed Sue to head for the circle, but the ty- Tyrannosaurus will was suddenly no longer pliable or easily led. The blood rage and fury of battle had overloaded what little mind she actually possessed. And now she was nothing but several rampaging tons of killing machine. She's not listening. And he's desperately trying to figure out a way to get Sue where he wanted her. And he said, he decided instead of stopping, 
Instead of trying to stop her battle rage, I encouraged it. Then I pointed her at the zombies nearer the circle. This Sue respond. Hmm? This just seems like pretty good evidence as to why people use human corpses, right? Um, uh huh. You- There's no. They don't have the same blood rate. Yeah, you you get a lot. Of, you also say you can channel more power through it usually, and this is yeah. super old, so there's lots of power, but. Seems like you'd be it'd be more malleable and easier to control a human mind than a hundred percent crazy bloodthirsty hunter for sure. Yeah, because um, an animal responds mostly on instinct, while humans have a little bit more of a thought process. Yeah, remember we saw Zombie Phil turn back on the or surmise that Zombie Phil turned back on the security system and locked up and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very much so. So they jump off, and Gravain comes after him. Fool, you should have joined me when you had the chance. Um, the vortex was more than, wasn't more than 10 feet off the ground. You can't draw it in if I'm standing right here, I shouted, retreating and circling to get into the circle of picnic tables. When I did, that horrible, sickly sense of cold faded. This near the vortex wasn't drawing the life off me. It was the eye of the metaphysical hurricane. One distraction and the backlash will kill you. It's over. It's not over, he howled, and the chain whipped out again, striking my shield. It is mine, my birthright. I was his favored child. So now he's a spoiled brat. Don't you know who I am? The zombie starts bite. There's a zombie that attacks his back, starts biting him. And Cravain is literally saying, die, 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 die. And it's just mayhem. I struggled out from under it. In time to see Gravain standing a few feet away, the chain discarded upon the ground, his hand held to his neck, blood, black in the night, sprayed from between his fingers. His expression became enraged, and he turned toward me, extending a hand to the zombie near me. The zombie turned once more with purpose. But then Gravain's expression became puzzled. His eyes rolled back in his head, and I saw the long, straight, smooth cut that had opened his neck from one side to the other, cutting all the way to his spine. Ramirez stepped into my line of vision his silver sword in hand, and coated with blood. In his other hand, he held his pistol. Without hesitation or hurry, he raised a gun and aimed it at, at Gravain's head from five feet away. Then he executed the stunned necromancer. So the body went down, obviously, as one ought to. The zombies had suddenly lost their, most, their vibrant animation, and most of them simply stood passively, still staring at nothing. Tyrannosaurus... Sue could not have cared less and carried on with her killing spree. And Ramirez apologized, saying, sorry it took me so long. I had to dodge some bad guys. And he said, couldn't shoot with you that close. And this light had to do with the old-fashioned way. You were one hell of a good distraction, though. He refused to believe he was dying. So there was no death curse. He said, yeah, you're right. Lucky us. Then a man's voice said, I don't know if I'd say that, gentlemen. And look, here's Cal. And, uh... He threw some magic at Ramirez, and Ramirez wasn't ready for it. The magical blow lifted him from his feet and threw him backward like a rag doll. He hit the ground 20 feet later, limbs already flopping limply, and lay there without moving. Harry Fazores, because holy fuck, Cal. Cal swiftly crossed his arms at the wrists, forming an X shape. Little X-Men action. Uh, aligning defensive energy before him. Or I guess it's Wonder Woman, too. But he hadn't been quite swift enough, or else he hadn't reckoned with how much energy he had to deal with. So Cal gets slammed around a little bit, and Harry's tries to fight. Don't move, Kamore's quiet voice said. She was stretched out quite a bit to be pulling my hair and holding the knife. 
but she'd done it right. There was no way I could try to escape her without her opening an artery. I ground my teeth, my power still ready to lash out again, and debated doing exactly that. Kumara would probably kill me, but it might be worth it to finish Cowl. I looked up at the writhing vortex. Its tip was now barely above the height of my own head. And Cal says, you've lost. This game is over. Don't do it, I growled. It isn't worth it. You're going to kill thousands of innocent people. Cal doesn't give a fuck. And he pulls Bob out. Bob's eyes are blue and violet. And so it's not our normal Bob. So he asks, is there, spirit? Do you see it? Of course. It is precisely as the master described. Proceed. Ah, the White Council's black sheep. I recommend that you kill him immediately. No, Kamari said firmly. His death curse could destroy the working. I know that, but if he lives when Kamal draws the power, he might disrupt it. Kill him now. Silence, spirit. You are not the master here. Challenge me again at your own peril. Bob wasn't Bob anymore. I'd known that he was bound and beholden to whomever possessed the skull. He resided within, and that their personality would strongly influence his own. But I'd never imagined what it might be like. Bob wasn't precisely a friend to me, but I was used to him. And in a way, he was family, the mouthy, annoying, irritable cousin, who was always insulting you, but who was definitely at Thanksgiving dinner. I had never considered the possibility that one day he might be something else. Something murderous. The worst part was that Bob had given Cal good advice. My death curse might well mess up the spell, but on the other hand, Cal did not seem one to be afraid of death curses. He gave me the chance to wait until he's actually at the delicate moment of drawing down the power. I wouldn't need anything as strong as a death curse to upset his balance. Of course, it would kill me. Kamar's blade would see to that, but I couldn't stop him if I was alive when it went down. Cal set the skull aside on the grass. And the power's rolling through, the vortex is vortexing, spears are swirling, screaming and railing, tormented, blah, blah, blah. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. I might have one chance. Bob, I said. Bob. The blue lights turned toward me. Think. Think, Bob. You know me. You've worked with me for years. Bob, you've got to remember me. I gave you a name. The skull quivered a little, as if a shudder had run through it, but the eyes continued to burn blue and cold. And then one of them flickered into its... And then one of them flickered into a shade of its usual orange, then immediately back to cold blue. My heart thudded in sudden excitement. Bob the Skull, my Bob, had just winked at me. Not precisely a friend, jerk. But I think Bob would agree, though. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Bob's too powerful to have friends. Exactly. Bob, I shouted into the cacophony, you have my permission. Orange light streaked from the eye sockets of the skull and blazed away from the circle of overturned picnic tables. But even so, I saw Bob's glowing body of energy pulled by the whirling currents of magic. He fought against that horrible vortex, and I suddenly realized that without the shelter of the skull or some other kind of physical body, Bob was no different from any of the other spirit beings trapped in that vast maelstrom. If the Dark Hollow was completed, he too would be trapped and devoured. I thought I saw Bob's form sucked up into the clouds of trapped spirit, but there was too much light and noise for me to be sure of anything. Cal continues doing his chanting thing, and he's raising up in the air, floating about. And it was dark and lethal and horrible and beautiful, and Cal was about to take it all in. The strength it would give him would not make him a match for the entire White Council. 
It would put him in a league so far beyond them that their strength would mean virtually nothing. It was power enough to change the world, to reshape it after one's own liking. And then Cowell is howling out the last repetition of his chant, and he thinks Bob hadn't been able to help me, and I couldn't let Cowell complete the spell, even if it killed me. I drew in my magic for the last spell I would ever throw, a blast to slam into Cal, disrupt the spell, let that vast energy tear him to bits. Kumori sensed it, and I heard her let out a short cry. The knife burned hot on my throat. And then, the dinosaur I'd summoned plunged through the clouds of wild spirits and headed directly for Kumore, her eyes blazing with brilliant orange flames. Tyrannosaur Bob let out a bellow and swiped one enormous talon. At Kumare. She was tough and confident, but no amount of training really uh, sets you up for fighting a dinosaur. But also, hmm? Tyrannosaurus have notoriously short arms. Maybe it was his leg. I don't know. Maybe he kicked out at her. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That makes That was in my head is that he kicked out at her. No, that makes more sense. Thank you. Yeah. No amount of training or forethought can prepare you for the sight of an angry dinosaur coming to eat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> She froze for a second and then shoves away from him. And there was no more time. I flung myself across the grass, gripped my staff in both hands, and swung it like a baseball bat at Cal's head. Baseball bats are a theme in this book. Um, the blow connected. The vortex abruptly screamed and filled with a furious red light. I choked out a cry and fell down on my right side to the ground, bringing up my shield bracelet and holding it over me in an effort to protect myself from the vast forces now flying free from the botched spell. There was more sound, so loud that no word could accurately describe it. Incandescent lighting, screaming faces, and forms of spirits and ghosts and trembling earth beneath me. And black. I love that spell. he's been saying the whole time that he can't beat Cal. Cal is too powerful of a wizard. He's not going to win. There's no way he can fight him with magic. So he just hits him in the head with a club. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> just so so good uh, 100%. He, he comes to his senses and the thunder and lightning are gone it's just a steady cold rain the lights of the city had slowly come back on the power grid the magic keeping the power grid off was dispelled as harry busted up the working Interesting because it means they didn't destroy it. They just bound it. Well, remember how power, how proud of himself Cowell was for that spell? It was probably oh, like he bound it. He didn't have to destroy it. No, just it. remember he was like, and it's very many other subtler things. Like he was just like such a like, ooh, I, I did some really cool shit. Yeah. It probably was overly complicated and just because he could, you know? Rather than just destroy it, he decided to bind it. And... Yeah. There's also probably some backups in play if you do destroy it. You oh, know? good point. Um, not in Texas, but in the other two. <laughs> in all the other states. Well, there are three power grids in the U.S. There's the East Coast, West Coast, and Texas. And Texas likes to have their own. But because it's Texas, they don't keep it up because that would be socialism. Yep. And that's why they have problems <laughs> when stuff goes through. Weird. He sees a booted foot in the ground right next to his face. And he follows it up, up, and up. Till he sees the horned helm of the Earl King. Wizard, called you forth a mighty hunter tonight. One that has not walked this earth since time gone and forgotten. Yeah, pretty nifty, huh? <laughs> because he did something so cool, the Earl King decides he won't kill him this time. 
Yeah. But beware, mortal. The next time our paths cross, it shall be my very great pleasure to run you down. Love that his act impressed this. But he's done that before. He's, he's impressed Matt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it, I just love that he's just, he's impressed the Errol King. I mean, it's just like, well, she Again, like we talked about with how Lucio is so finesse, you know, and, and smooth. Harry is just a bowling ball, but because of that, 100%. he does these big, powerful, explosive things that you can't help but notice. And so that that's why it's so surprising when somebody doesn't know his name, right? Because he, yeah. he is notable and notorious. But game recognized game, and so the Earl King decides not to kill him tonight. <laughs> I like that. Game recognized game. That's really uh, accurate. Bob is back in his skull that Harry has was protecting and holding. I love where he's like, some show, huh? Harry says, you had to get the dinosaur, eh? I figured you'd just grab a handy zombie. <laughs> Why settle for wieners when you can have steak? <laughs> I love Bob. And, you know, again, Bob's showing some kind of emotional depth here. He says, I didn't want to work for him anyway. But as long as he had the skull, and you know how it is. I didn't want to work for him anyway. But as long as he had the skull, well, you know how it is. But it's interesting, right? That Bob does have feelings and preferences and things, right? Like, it, he isn't just... Bob has loyalty. He definitely has that as well. In well, in, I wouldn't say in spades, but he definitely has some of it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's unexpected because we keep learning. You know, Bob is just Bob is an air spirit. He doesn't. We talked. He talked earlier in this book about the, you know, the morality, the line between good and bad. He doesn't give a fuck, but he's loyal to Harry still. Because Harry tra- treats him well, I think is part of it. Harry didn't isn't like Kemmler, where he made him do and say all these horrible, do and see all these horrible things. And I, I really think that's a lot of what it is. And it's fascinating. Yeah. Again, even to the point where he saves Ramirez, he takes the Tretosaur and, and stands over Ramirez when the boom goes boom. Again, 100%. You're right. A couple of novels ago, he had no conception or care about life and death. And now he's no. saving someone that isn't even Harry because he, he knew he would want him to. Mm hmm. She's just great. Again, the development. And it has to be piecemeal and slow because the the nature of Bob, but it is cool to see him. And Bob, you know, Harry mentioned he changes based on who's holding the skull, but it's cool to see him get his heroic moment as well, right? Gotta love a good hero arc. Absolutely. Uh, we see Listens to Wind has shown up from the senior council. There's a half half dozen more stay-at-home wizards, uh, basically healers and stuff who want to take care of all the injuries and but I, I feel like Listens to Wind also may have shown up to help put these spirits to rest because they are native. Okay. And that's from my understanding, from my position and my studies and things like that, and where it is a very important thing to put your own people to rest. So I, that was sort of why I was like, when he was the first senior council member mentioned, I was like, oh, that's why he's here. He's here to help put them, put them to rest again. Okay. That was my my nerdy anthro perspective on it. Like it. <laughs> Obviously, you know, the spells broke, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they're in the right place and they're in the right, have the right uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. And we hear Morgan kind of start to hint at a conspiracy of sorts here. You know, he says all of these things happening at once can't be a coincidence. And Harry chimes in that it wasn't. All those heavy vampire attacks just when Cal and his buddies needed the White Council not to be involved. Are you saying that Cal was a was using the vampires? And Harry decides he thinks they had a deal. 
What do they get out of it? The senior council. Impossible. They had to know that the senior council was back at Edinburgh. The defenses there have been built over thousands of years. It would take, it would take a god to break through them. Kill the senior council. Uh. So if Harry's right, that means the vampires were the distraction. And the price for that distraction was whoever finished the Dark Hallow, they were going to go in and destroy things at Edinburgh. Again, things are just getting a little bit more real with the war and a little bit more dangerous. Mm-hmm. We don't get anything else about that. We do have Harry go meet Mavra just before the deadline. He goes back to his grave. And again, this is a great scene because Harry's at his core. The thing he hates the most is a bully, right? Someone who takes advantage of someone weaker mm-hmm. than them. So Harry gives her the book and she gives him the, the pictures. But he says, this never happens again. You try to get to me through mortal. You try to get to me through other mortals again, and I'll kill you. No, you won't. You don't have that kind of power. I can get it, but you won't. I've got a fallen angel tripping all over herself to give me more power. Queen Mab has asked me to take the mantle of Winter Night twice now. I've read Kemmler's book. I know how the Dark Hollow works, and I know how to turn necromancy against the Black Court. So once again, let me be perfectly clear. If anything happens to Murphy, and I even think you had a hand in it, fuck right and wrong. If you touch her... I'm declaring war on you personally. I'm picking up every weapon I can get, and I'm using them to kill you. Horribly. Great. And I love the, do you understand me? And she nods. Say it. I understand. Makes her say it. Yeah. He very much has power over her in this moment. Mm, He does. Get out of my town. Sees a dream image of his father. and They talk about, his grave, he died uh, tombstone, he died doing the right thing. And Harry mentions we could change it to he died alone. And and Malcolm has some really good thoughts there. It's Harry thinks, you know, maybe it means he'll never have anybody, have love, wife, children, or anyone who's really close. Malcolm says, son, everyone dies alone. That's what it is. It's a door. It's one person wide. When you go through it, you do it alone. But that doesn't mean you got to be alone before you go through the door. And believe me, you aren't alone on the other side. Harry's worried about his decisions and you know, he crossed a line with Lachiel. And, you know, again, life isn't simple. There's such a thing as black and white, right and wrong. But when you're in the thick of things, sometimes it's hard for us to tell. As long as you believe you are responsible for your choices, you still are. You've got a good heart, son. Listen to it. I like that. Not really sure how Mouse comes home, but Mouse got home. So maybe, I guess he, maybe he left him in the um, beetle or something. Um, of course, oh, I know. Always oh, make oh, of course. Home. I knew he would find his way. But I would expect no I'd less. I like that short story, that, that homeward bound side story. <laughs> Ripping up a few zombies as he goes. Murphy's bike had failed. Thomas was back at the apartment. Murphy's going to be mad at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, inevitably. Harry slept hard. Butters had come in to take care of his wounds and redress them. He had him on antibiotics. Again, just doing what he, what he can for the cause. Murphy shows up and wa- is about to get mad and, and start chewing him out, but realizes how fucked up everything is. And they have a good uh, exchange where she's, she says, 
what happened? Oh, things. <laughs> Chicago was interesting for a couple days there. She has a cast and broken wrist and some bruises. And he says, hey, what happened? Oh, things. Hawaii was interesting for a couple days there. They decide they might, they'll think about trading stories. Of course, the mundane official reason for all the blackout and things was the storm. Lucio survived. Morgan took over as the interim captain. Harry is going to be the regional commander. And Morgan gives him a paycheck. So now he's actually getting paid for all this stuff that, you know, it's, it's funny. That's been a huge part of the struggle. Adds, added some good narrative tension, right? He's another thing to worry about throughout the series so far. And now he's getting paid to keep doing what he does for doing the right thing, which is great. Butters gives him a guitar, which he says will be therapy for his uh, burned hand. Help him get the movement and feeling back. I love yeah, the line where he says, you know, Butters, for a mortician, you're a pretty good healer. I really love. I like that. I like that a lot. And he says, you think so? I glance at the warm, steady flame of the candles and smile. Yeah. I really just, I really liked how it ended. I liked how it all went down. I'm a fan. It's interesting. In the past, I've hated those kind of wrap-up chapters where everything works out perfectly mm -hmm. and everything's honky-dory. I love that. It, it just, it, <laughs> I'm not sure what it was about it, but I just, mm -hmm. it didn't seem over the top. You know, nothing, you know, Butters was right there next to Lucio. Of course, you know, he helped her survive. Um, she's also a wizard and has, you know, super, the super healing that comes with it. So it makes sense, you know, that it's not out of the, out of the blue. You know, his little tete-a-tete -tete with Murphy was, was great. Actually, she was kind of fridged this whole novel, but, um, so like we can't have two strong female warriors in the same book. <laughs> I know that wasn't the reason. Interesting times. Yeah, I just I I really did like that the wrap up more than I have in the past. I think part of it was just because Harry, you know, puffed up his chest and told Maverick to get the fuck out of here, which was great as well. But yeah, anything that quick there before we head on to analysis? Not necessarily right here. I have. Like I said, I re-listened about half, three quarters of the book, and I have, I have things. I have receipts. Oh heck yeah! Let's let's get into this analysis. All right. So, I'm I'm this. These are my over since this is the final pod of this book. So at one point, this is about Bob. We love Bob. I love Bob so much. Bob was pulled from burning wreckage twice. I feel like that's foreshadowing that in one of the final novels, if Harry does die, someone will pull Bob from the burning wreckage. I love that. I love that connection you made. Also, his Nile joke in chapter three, are your feet wet? Can you see the pyramids? Because you are standing knee deep in denial. Let's see. Oh, the other thing, it was more of a ponderance. Wait, wait, real, real quick before we move on from Bob. Sorry. Okay. Do you remember uh -huh. very early on, I want to say book two, maybe, where Bob was being ridiculous and I gave him a little bit more leeway mm -hmm. and he, he was a little, it was early on, right? And he was being crass and ridiculous and yikesy for sure. But I always gave him the benefit of the doubt. This is why, because I just love Bob. <laughs> yeah. percent. But it's, it's, again, this is Bob's character arc. We have Butter's character arc. It's just... I love the development of our characters here. 
Thomas had one in the last bit, and we are getting more of our other supporting characters having change and having variation, and I love it. One of the other observations, questions, would Lashiel be responsible for his visions of his father? Oh, she certainly could be. Because I'm re-listening to this and I'm just like, oh. Oh, and that definitely plays into like her, that does play into her hands, that conversation for sure. Because he doesn't look like Harry expected him to. She's going into his memories and combining memories he has of him. Well, yeah, but also that conversation of like, hey, you use a little last year, but you're still a good guy. If you think you're in control, you're in control. Yes, 100%. Keep using her, baby. It's all good. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Again, every time one of these things, because he's awake, right? He's not dreaming. So it is a little bit more suspect for sure when he has, but also he... I don't know. Anytime his dad, remember the last time his dad showed up, I wasn't sure. I wasn't convinced that it was actually his dad. And almost all the feedback from all the listeners was that it was for sure Malcolm. Why wouldn't it be? But I. But that first interaction is what made me, because I'd listened to that after having heard, listened to the interaction with him and Lashiel mm-hmm. in his other dream, the pain med dream. And I was just like, oh shit. What if? Yeah, no, that's really interesting because. It makes sense that his dad would say those things, but also... It makes sense that Lashio would tell him that as well. No, 100%. And, and we've seen Lashio have such a huge impact on him all throughout this novel. Well, and she said she didn't come to him in his dream until after he had seen Sheila. This was after the first time he met Sheila in the shop. So I'm like, oh, fuck. So that's another one. And that was just a very... Even in the, in the second part when we see his dad again, he talks about... Uh, good and bad are, are are black and white. Where is it? Right and wrong exist. Uh, sorry, there is su- there is such a thing as black and white, right and wrong. But when you're in the thick of things, sometimes it's hard for us to tell. You didn't do what you did for your own benefit. You did it so you could protect others. And she keeps saying, you could use my power to protect others. In the the trio vision, he's saying it to himself. You can see, You can use this to protect so it's like, it's very much along those lines and it's the, it all could be a figment of his imagination, whatever. But I feel like Lashiel has some impact. Yeah, no, that's a great thought for sure. And then the last thing I notice, when the zombies are attacking him and Liver Spots and him are tussling, Liver Spots says, where is it? It's mine. And initially I was like, well, he's looking for the paper with the numbers on it. He's looking for the coin. For sure. That's why I brought it up. And up. then later he's looking for the coin again. I was just like, Oh my God, it's the coin. (laughs) There were a couple of things going back. It's like, oh shit. So that's what that is. That's why I was, that's where the Lashiel thing, the vision with the father, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. That's totally what it could be. I like, I really do like that reading of it because it, it, I, there's no evidence either way. Right. I mentioned that last week that so much of this novel, his perspective is influenced by Lashiel for sure, Mm -hmm. but we'll never really know how much is Lashiel, how much is, just Harry, right? It's just, it's really impossible to say, basically, which makes it interesting. Yeah, and where his double says, oh, Harry says she must not be allowed to dictate actions or to direct our choices through suggestion or manipulation, but how, we already know that she can do that, so how how is he going to prevent that? Um, I, I think that's, again, a rationalization, and then his inner id says, but she can and should be used as a resource under careful control it also says, well, I'll control. I won't let her do that. Bullshit. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Bullshit. he works, again, not for his own. I mean, it is his own, but he is Harry, right? So 
can't completely yeah. just brush that off and blame somebody else. But hmm. yeah, again, I, I just, it, I just always with, with this novel wonder how much, how much is going on with Lashio and how much is not, I just, you will never know. It's all just speculation. That's why it's such a fun novel to kind of talk about. Yeah. It's a lot of speculation and it's a lot of um, what ifs. And that's sort of what this podcast is about is pulling out the what ifs. Well, exactly. I mean, we're a ninth grade English class. It's a hundred percent. I'm on the, the dream chapter as well. They kind of do flow together with this conversation. If that's okay. But where he says she looked humble. She looked cooperative. And we've seen that the whole time. Again, I, I mentioned to, I, she looked, she, it's not that she was, she looked. Well, yeah. And Harry says, but I knew better. I told, I mean, I've told mm-hmm. you this whole time. She does seem genuine. She obviously is manipulative, manipulating him. So it's hard to really go full bore into that. But, but we also learned that she's a seductress. That's her, that's her basic function as a fallen angel is the seductress. Again, that is the, the church's. But she doesn't, she say something along those lines? I don't think so. The, the church's view of her is she's the seductress, the web weaver. That's what she does. But again, like we only have one side of the story. And again, I'm not sitting here telling you that the fallen angels are the good guys, but I'm not that far off the deep end here. But like there is, there, there could vary. There is another side to that story, whatever it is. Right. Again, I don't think. Oh yeah. An archangel just started one day to twist his mustache and take 30 odd angels with him, right? Like there, there is a story yeah. there that I would love to see Butcher get into with, with the white God and the, yeah. the morning star. But, but I do also love how she says that she relocated. Yeah, exactly. But so like, I, I obviously I don't think she is a good guy by any means, but it, we don't have a ton of evidence to suggest she is a full bore villain. Um, and all she's done so far is help him besides the Sheila stuff. So we certainly should be on our guard. And I'm not saying she's again, I'm not I'm devil's advocating sort of here, but I really do want to be clear. Like we haven't seen her be a bad guy. It's just Harry's expectation so far. She has a bad guy, but she's already been manipulated. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that's the big thing. And that's, I think that's Harry's kind of focus on it is that that's why he put her in the cage. And cause she manipulated him. She fucked with his head unknowingly because, and she's allegedly a, a guest in his head, but she's doing this shit. Interesting. She doesn't have to abide by guest right, clearly. Yeah. It's interesting. But yeah, that, that, those are the, those are my big, well, <laughs> moments. No, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. A line I really liked is, um, again, we've seen this whole series. He has this struggle with himself about the darkness and we've never really seen that in action until now mm-hmm. where he's started to make choices to go off the straight and narrow and where he says dangerous indeed Lashiel represented nothing less than the intrinsic allure of power itself that's really what he's choosing to do here more than use Lashiel specifically he's choosing to dip into that darkness and use things that he knows are wrong there's another moment that you you just saying that him delving into the darkness and the question of the darkness let me see if I can find it where is it the end of the, chapter 29, when Kumari says that the reason they want to, you know, get rid of death. What if we could get rid of death? You know, and he, and he, he kind of is thinking about the, the positive things that she said. Even if I never reach the goal, never finish the quest, wouldn't it be attempt to vanquish death itself, be a worthy pursuit? This question was a big one, way bigger than me. And that's, you know, the thing where he's contemplating it. Like, oh, wow, this, you couldn't just drive death away, could you? Maybe that wasn't the point. Maybe this is one of those things in which the effort meant more than the outcome. I mean, even if there was a chance, even a tiny, teeny chance that Kamori was right and that the world could be so radically changed, wouldn't I be obliged to try? 
He's putting that doubt in there in his head, which I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's definitely, uh, again, potentially Lashiel's influence, but he seems to be convincing himself throughout t- pushing himself, um, rationalizing his, his road through this for sure. I just want to talk for a second about the, uh, the line where he says, one of the coldest, most evil souls is that I, Chauncey, I think I ever have ever encountered once told me that the reason I fought so hard to do what seemed right was I was terrified to look within me and see the desire to cease the fight and do as I would free of conscience or remorse. And you touched on that during the read through, but there's this again, I, I'm, I'm not a militant atheist by any means. Like I said, my father was a uh, deacon in the Catholic church and I was a caregiver. And when he was blind, so I would read and record the gospel every week and he would listen to it on a recorder and then he would speak it to the, to the church. So I read the gospel every week. I'm not, you know, trying to be anti-religion here, but there's a, one of the big kind of things that comes up in that atheism, theism conversation is like atheists don't have any morality. There's no central basis for their morality. And that's kind of this. According to Christians. Well, no, just, yeah, that's kind of the argument is like, where does morality come from? And that's this, this line here. Like, are you saying if God didn't exist, you would you know be like a, like Sue, right? Just running around smashing stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously not, right? Like we as a society have decided not, you know, to, to share this space and have a shared experience, right? So like mm-hmm. I have empathy. I have a, a, my morality isn't trying to get me into heaven, but I, I generally want to do right by people, right? So that's just kind of like this idea. And he's worried that like, if he looks inside, he's going to stop trying to fight it. I don't believe that. No. I, I think I've mentioned this line on this podcast before, but it's my favorite line. Besides maybe, uh, I kind of want to slay the dragon hmm. where Angel realizes he's never, he's not going to become mortal anymore. So he's just going to live out as a vampire. Spoiler alert. And he says, <laughs> if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. 100%. And I love that line. And I've tr- again, that's kind of how I try to, I take my, <laughs> I take my living advice from a TV show about vampires. I mean, hey. But no, it's just such a great, powerful line that's like, I don't think heaven exists. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But like, I don't I probably, I've never seen any evidence there of it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to take this time I have and just go buck wild. Like the only thing that matters is what I have right here. So why wouldn't I try to be the best version of myself through it? Sometimes we fail, but um, that line just made me think of those two kind of thoughts. Definitely. And it's, it's the concept of, um, in, in my perspective is that I don't believe any kindness is wasted. I have very strong feelings about being kind for kindness sake, not because you're going to get something out of every, anyone. And I, I consider myself agnostic. Like I like to hope that there's a higher power. I don't know if there is, but it's very much, there's no reason not to be kind. There's no reason not to try to make the world a better place. There's no reason not to, there truly isn't. So it's, it's very much, just because Harry doesn't necessarily have that religious guilt, I guess you could call it, that doesn't mean that he is going to go into the depths of hell because he's exposed to all this he, stuff. You he know what I mean? Const- he's constantly worried about this battle and having this battle inside. Mm-hmm. But until now, he's always won. He's you know the good, the angel on his shoulder has always been the victor. And, and now it's hundred percent. It'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Did he open Pandora's box and are the floodgates? Is he going to just go down that road or 
is this, you know, he just needed Lashiel in that moment to save people and, and that's what he had to do. And we'll, we'll see. It's balance. It's that balance where it's like no one, no human is perfect. And so we can't expect perfection. You know, it's that, it's just a, mm-hmm. and Harry is not perfect. Harry is a human ish. <laughs> Despite all the crackpot theories so far, that's all we know. Yeah. No, I, I again, it's a, I don't want to say throwaway, but it's a, it's not an action. You know, the action picks up right after that chapter, but a lot of that conversation really is going to, I think, resonate from a character standpoint as we oh, yeah. move forward. Oh, one line I want to go back just that mm-hmm. last chapter is when Butters says, like, I'm a boxer or maybe a tough as Dale's gum shoe. He wants to be like Harry. And you touched on that too, but I just love that. Like, again, like, kind of like billy it's like harry is this great role model for people yeah. and he doesn't always catch it and he doesn't give himself enough credit no not at all anything on you know obviously sue is great but you have delightful anything, anything on uh that uh you know as they approach the wardens and the, the kids and stuff uh i love the, the dichotomy of of the power the differences in power I also love how he is so amazed by Lucio's, uh, I think he calls it a fine point, like a needle, her her fire powers. But I feel like that battle, that observation gave him the faith in himself to use his own. He flicked that biggest. He lit the candles at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this, the whole situation of you know, seeing his dad and seeing the grave again, it's just get busy living or get busy dying, mm-hmm. you know, like. You're you're gonna have to use fire eventually. Why not now? But it is interesting yeah. how, like, when he had doubts about himself using his power before, and he put it away behind a wall. Remember, I because I brought that up last week or the week before about his doubts about his power, and he had to overcome that for this because this is so much. It's almost as though this is so much bigger. I love that Harry uses another technicality, like he did uh-huh. with Tutu. To get around the laws of magic. When I was and mo- the first time I was going through it, I texted I texted you. Mm-hmm. Letter versus spirit of the law. <laughs> exactly. And like everything in the magical world with mm-hmm. and the Fae and stuff, everything is always the letter of the law. It's, the spirit is not does not matter here. Yeah, he brings up the line and I referenced it, but I didn't uh, with speaking of someone else, but the bottle caps line, you don't get to be commander of the wardens by collecting yes. bottle caps. Again, it just that line is still still bugs me from before, and maybe somehow Lashiel was reading minds or something. But it's definitely an, an intriguing thing to keep in, keep an eye on. Right, and I have something something else that made me think a little funky. Or also, I love the, the seeing Morgan's sword destroy Harry's working was mm-hmm. cool. It gave us it, it, that 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 scene with the children and the Warden swords gave us a lot of backstory, a lot of understanding of the the power the wardens actually wield. Mm-hmm. Like, Harry's talking about combat magic and stuff. Yeah. Like I thought what Harry did was combat magic, but this is a different oh, level yeah. for sure. I, I want to touch on, I did love the conversation about the burnout cop, just kind of cynical and angry. Yeah. It makes, it makes me think of Murphy's dad. Yeah. And the description that the mom gave. Yeah. Also thinking about Murphy as well, but mostly about her dad who was a lot like, Morgan, he saw these atrocities and did his best and tried to save people as best he could. And in the end, he couldn't mm-hmm. overcome his own demons and he he died by suicide. Like, I don't know. You know, again, I don't think that was 
necessarily foreshadowing or something we're supposed to think about, but my brain went to the, the mortal cops that we've, we've seen and it's, it's no different. Morgan has to be a really strong person to have kept it together for so long. Yeah. Very true. Adds a little bit of humanity and softness to some understanding to his douchebaggers. Yes. Some kind of a sliver. Well, it, it gives, it gives the character of Morgan more depth. A hundred percent gives him more depth. And that's something that that character really needed. Mm -hmm. He's not just a brute. There's more to it. Yeah. He was even including like one-off cameos. He was one of the very few, like one note character. And that really Mm -hmm. does help to uh, flesh him out for sure. Yeah. Again, you touch on, but Harry's risky, willing to give up his life for the fight. He's already put his soul in peril by using Lashiel. And now again, nothing, there's nothing he won't do to help people. Correct. Anything else in that, um, corpse taker and stuff like that. We, that, again, seeing Harry do some detecting on the fly was great. I, yeah, I had definitely. a little bit, if he, a couple of iffy lines in there that could have been reworked, but definitely solid stuff. And I really liked that little mini twist. One thing, and it kind of referencing that bottle cap thing from earlier, Harry, goes and they hop he hops off the tyrannosaurus slams on his legs and does a good enough job he knows he's going to be sore right and then he starts to fight yell it with with gravain he says nothing about what ramirez is up to Mm -hmm. and that seems conspicuous to me okay because we saw his cool green light during the fight earlier you know and he mentioned all he always talks about the stuff happening around him and he has this tete-a-tete this conversation that goes back and forth with gravain for a bit and he doesn't mention Ramirez at all. And I just find that interesting. Unusual. What was, what, yeah, what was Ramirez doing? You would think that Lashio would give Harry more ability to see something. We know, again, he hasn't been super perceptive this novel, but that reading that through the millionth time, that kind of jumped at me as odd, just odd. I don't have more to say than that, just odd. And again, and pairing that with the bottle cap line, just odd. That's all I got. <laughs> Harry's for Zare threw Cowl, the most powerful wizard we've seen, with a shield up, and he still blasts him back. It's cool as fuck to see. Oh, yeah. Again, Harry's a heavy fucking hitter. He does use Hellfire. So, you know, that isn't just normal Harry power, but still, Cowl is a fucking monster. And Harry fucking goes right through his defenses. I just thought that was cool to see. But in that moment of distress and... He also is pulling power from the necromancy because that's the whole thing where if you're near there without, without the power of necromancy around you, you can't, you, you're going to be destroyed if you're near the vortex. Fair. I feel like that. I wonder how those powers, cause they're, they're different types of power, but you know, it just it adds to the will for sure. You know, oh yeah. In that moment and all the emotions going on yeah. and all the emotions of the city because of what the wild hunt and the power out and all the you know, national guard, all the shit. crazy so shit that's going on. Yeah. There's tons of power to be had. But still, I mean, that's a fucking Tysonian blast uh, that I really like to see Harry doing work. You got anything else there? I don't. Uh, again, I, I touched on that last chapter. I really enjoyed the last chapter. Sometimes those wrap-ups get a little saccharine is kind of the word I use, yeah, I guess. that's it, a good word. Over, overly done, and it it didn't really. Um, it's good to see Murph back. Again, I didn't love that she wasn't in this novel really at all. It would have been nice to see her come back at some point. You could have had that same interaction five chapters ago or eight chapters, you know, right before the power went out or something, I guess there isn't really, she would have had to come back pretty early. So maybe not. Yeah. Because it adds to Harry's 
got other levels of things going on in his brain and he she's one less person he has to he feels he has to protect well i i think it, an interesting really interesting version of this novel is he's dealing with sheila and lashiel oh yeah when murphy's there i think that would have been really interesting maybe. and maybe that maybe that's why we didn't have her here so that we could have that interaction with sheila kind of be, really pop have a little more power yeah have that kind of be the a plot instead of yeah how Murphy felt about it and stuff, but either way, Thomas also got sidelined a lot in this one. He was in it early, but pretty good stuff. I mean, I really did enjoy it. It's one of my favorite ones, certainly of the early chunk. This is definitely a a winner for sure. I love that he flips the bully script around on Mavra. He doesn't love bullying, but you know, fuck Mavra. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anything else there? Bullying. It's, it's, because he's Put, bullying is someone who's weaker than you. Yeah, that's that's. Maver's right. not weaker than him. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, anything else there? I loved your thoughts on Malcolm Lashiel. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was great. This is Alyssa overthinks by nature. Oh, it was wonderful. And so that's why I, I'm going to try and do this for each book when we finish. Try and listen to the whole thing. They are really long. Mm-hmm. So like I started listening the day uh, last Wednesday to the final chapters and then I started again on Thursday and I still didn't get through it all because it's just such a they're such long books but it's kind of fun to kind of re-listen to them and see oh my god that's what that is holy shit that's yeah what no that that, is. that that was awesome so that's Very I'm cool. gonna that's gonna be a, an, a something I'm going to attempt from here on out I I dig I dig you want to do quotes let's do quotes. All right. What do you got for us? That I am even having this dream probably means that I need a good therapist. Um, and, and you read this one, but I don't care. When you do something stupid and die, it's pathetic. When you do mm-hmm. something stupid and survive, then you get to call it heroic. <laughs> and then, sounds like a plan, I said. I just wish it sounded like a winning plan. You got a better idea, Ramirez asked me truthfully. No, I said, and I turned Sue down the street. That would hopefully let us attack the necromancers from the rear. Well, then, he said, his smile ferocious. Shut up and dance. I do like, I like Ramirez a lot. I do too. I think he's great. I hope we get to see more of him. So once again, let me be perfectly clear. If anything happens to Murphy, and I even think you had a hand in it, fuck right and wrong. If you touch her, I'm declaring war on you. Personally, I'm picking up every weapon I can, and I'm using them to kill you. Horribly. That's just the core of Harry. Mm-hmm. He'll go scorched earth to protect Murphy. And then the last one, I stared at my waiting grave. Oh, that was one of mine too. Sorry. No, go ahead. I stared at my waiting grave and I suddenly realized that death was really not my biggest worry. He died doing the right thing. God, I hope so. God, I hope so. Love that. That was really good. No, that was definitely so good. That was my, that was my last one. My closer as well. Good stuff. <laughs> Great minds, I tell you what. Mm-hmm. It's like we've been doing a podcast for 10 months it's together. It's like we have. <laughs> I had one little assault and you've gone habitual. <laughs> Next thing I know, you'll be forming a fight club. Help me up. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Butters in this one is so good. And the next one involves Butters as well. When he's not afraid to die, Harry says, if we blow it, you get to die anyhow. I believe that there's a cloud for every silver lining. And then he refused to believe he was dying. No death curse. Ramirez nodded. Yeah, you're right. Lucky us. 
And a man's voice said, I don't know if I'd say that, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, that's another really stuff. great cinematic moment. Uh-huh. Where they're like, all right, no death curse. And then it, off screen, you hear, I don't know about that, gentlemen. We did it. Oh, fuck. Right? Yeah, no, for sure. Good we stuff. We got one. We got two down. One to go. All right. Yikes, Yikes. Uh, Ramirez talking about his charm on ugly girls and stuff. Not no. great for sure. He's blustering with a wizard that he's impressed by. Exactly. And... He's trying to impress Harry. Yeah. Um, and Harry's again. not that great with girls. So I think it's hilarious that he's trying to impress Harry like that. Yeah, for sure. Because as, as yeah, Thomas no, that... revealed, you're shy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Besides that, though, not a whole lot possible, but good stuff. Good stuff. Absolutely fabulous. I guess in giving Murph space actually was was really kind of anti-Yikes good, giving her the not badgering her about what happened and yeah. stuff. And that was that was good. Again, giving her her agency, which she's been doing a lot lately and is really cool to see. And it's necessary, I think. Mm-hmm. So as we've been doing here, this is a dragon fat idea of which he has so many. We have Alyssa Reed. Look at the the covers and read the first couple lines of the next novel. See if she can get glean any information, get that tinfoil cap out and see. It's always good to see just where the first thoughts go, right? (laughs) I love that. All right. So we'll go first with the book cover. So the book cover is it's our book cover hero where it's the, he's got the black trench coat on and a hat. Harry never wears a hat for sure. But his staff (laughs) has the glowing sigils, which I love. And he's standing in front of a bar. It's not max bar. It's got a different thing there, but everything's green. So we're going to have another something from beyond with green mist. It looks like green mist. And so proven guilty. I have a feeling that this is going to be something about, Morgan's going to come after him or some shit like that. Morgan is so sure that he's breaking rules still, even though he saved the day on multiple occasions or somebody is going to be coming after him because they think he's guilty. That's what I'm going with because of his involvement there. All right. So chapter one, blood leaves no stain on a warden's gray cloak. I didn't know that until the day I watched Morgan second in command of the white council's wardens lift his sword over the kneeling form of a young man guilty of the practice of black magic. The boy, 16 years old at most, screamed and ranted in Korean underneath his black hood, his mouth spilling hatred and rage, convinced by his youth and power of his own immortality. He never knew it when the blade came down, which I guess is a small mercy. Microscopic, really. His blood flew in a scarlet arc. I wasn't ten feet away. I felt hot droplets strike one cheek, and more blood covered the left side of the cloak in blotches of angry red. The head fell to the ground, and I saw the cloth over it moving, as if the boy's mouth were still screaming imprecations. The body fell onto its side. One calf muscle twitched spasmodically and then stopped. After maybe five seconds, the head did too. Well, fuck. So I was right, it's about the uh, wardens. (laughs) There's some warden shit going on here. Uh That's fucking gnarly. Yeah, no... You see what Harry was in for there before they ended up giving him the Doom of Damocles and he went with Yeah, Ebenezer. 100%. This is, this is the one punishment for breaking the laws of magic. Yeah. 100%. That's crazy town. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, any other thoughts? I mean, there's not a whole lot to go on there. Just get some more and more. Do you want to get us out of here with a crackpot theory of the week? Of course. I still have strong feelings that Harry is less than just a wizard. I feel like Mama, Mama has some fairy or something in her. Less than a wizard? I mean, more than a wizard. Less than a human. <laughs> more than a wizard. Let's see what else we got here. That's the big one. And I said it before. Mouse is not just a dog. Yeah, him following orders and stuff. Oh, like- yeah. he's And he kind of played that with Harry when he hid Butters. Totally part of that game. Just like I think Mouse, like, Mr. is. But I think that, okay, so <laughs> let me delve into this crackpot theory a little bit because of this book. So Mouse, Mouse is, is a supernatural being. Mr. is a supernatural being. But Mr. is a stronger supernatural being, which is why he, what's the word? He acquiesces to Mr. at, the, at the, their little food ritual. Totally because he knows Mr. has more power than him. It's also just polite. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I know. No, very cool. Very cool. All right. Very good stuff, guys. I, I love that novel. Definitely learned some interesting things. It's a lot more iffy. Like, right, everything we've talked about the whole time. I don't want to belabor the point too much, even though I have. It's just everything's a little bit off, and I love going back through it slowly and really seeing kind of how fucked up everything is. It's just yeah. it's a little, little bit interesting, which is cool. Beyond that, we got... Some good feedback, good notes here from Eliza. Not just because she said nice she things about She thinks I'm Lisa. brilliant, and uh, we love you, Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which she's not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> but uh, it, it's funny. We uh, I, I replied to it a little bit, but a lot of those thoughts were very similar to stuff we had talked about that day on the pod, interestingly enough, but about how... Again, I mentioned Dragon Fett. We had a conversation about Sheila or Lashiel, rather, having something to do with that Ramirez comment. There, yeah, there's something more going on there with the. It's almost as though it's either Lashiel or Harry has some sort of mind reading power that he that is a latent sort of ability. Yeah, she also suggested that maybe Lashiel just made him think he went down the elevator, so his leg would he'd be he wouldn't feel he wouldn't think that his leg hurt, and he'd mind over matter being able to get up and down a little bit better. When he got to her apartment. But he didn't go down the elevator, did he? No, he at his house, he, at his apartment, he said he did. And oh, okay. We, we thought it was a mistake. She, she found a way to make that it. That actually, in, yeah. In the universe, which actually, again, okay. because Lashiel's in his head. fucking with his head so much, I really do like that idea. It also gives her much more power. Not that she needs it, but yeah. You know? No, mm-hmm. she definitely doesn't need it. But it does, it, 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 that implication of her power over his mind is very significant. For sure. Yeah, definitely appreciate that stuff, guys. We we love it when you uh, hit us up and give us some feedback. Tell tell us the dumb stuff I said and the smart stuff Lizzie <laughs> said, and we'll try to put it together. It averages out to a pretty normal intelligence podcast, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> well, and ninety percent of the time, it's Josh replying to people because I'm not allowed to look at things with um because of hustler. Correct. Spoilers. I do. I do make sure she's. Spo- I do make sure she's spoiler free. So I, I curate everything <laughs> before it comes through. So don't worry about that stuff. Don't put it in the su- the um, don't put it in subject the subject line. and give no spoilers, spoilers in the subject space line because I do but get alerts for everything. I just don't open that. them, which is really hard for me because I'm nosy. <laughs> <laughs> that is that the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. 
And we're also at that at X, formerly known as a website that was functional. We're <laughs> on Mastodon. We're on TikTok. We're on all sorts of stuff. So we appreciate you. Hit us up. And also there's a thread on Reddit that you can search for us. And uh, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much for being around here. We could not do this. Um, we do have a Patreon page. We would love it if you guys would hop on and you know kick us five bucks a month. You get to see. You get to see some dumb photos I post and you get the pod a day early. Not the most spectacular package ever, but it's only five bucks a month. And we would be delighted if you could do that. But if you can't, you know what? Don't worry about it. Pod still comes out on Sunday and hopefully you enjoy it then. Listen. That too. And tell somebody about it. Who doesn't pot, doesn't Patreon. You have to tell one person this week (laughs) about the pod. There you go. Yeah. No, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Uh, Thank you, Lucy, for being spectacular and wonderful. Anything to get us out here on? No, not that I can think of. Awesome. Well, guys, I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. The podcast is on fire. It wasn't my fault. We're so close to a uh, Silk Road here, connecting Europe all the way through on our map of places. Oh, ha, 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 up to so 40, 42 countries. 40, 42. Shit. Yeah.